0: Jesus told us in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, to make disciples of all nations. But what keeps us going as we do that? What motivates us? How do we continue investing in someone else's spiritual growth long term? That's the question we start with today on making disciples naturally. I'm David Dennis, and I'm glad you've joined us today for this very important podcast. We are hearing from Ron and Mary Bennett, who have served with the Navigators for some 50 years. They are specialists in discipleship and have much wisdom to share with us. Today I start by asking them what keeps them going and motivated to obey the Great Commission in making disciples. Well, I think um, it's important to him, Mm. so it's important to me. Yeah. Yeah, And the more that... I'm involved in discipling. I find it gives me great joy.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Not that there aren't challenges; there are. But um, but watching someone else grow in her relationship with the Lord, seeing her faith grow, seeing her uh, commitment to the Lord grow, um, is a great joy, and um, that does motivate me as well as the fact that he said to do it. Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) yeah i I think i mean of course there's there's responsibility because we're told to go do it Mm -hmm. uh there's there's sort of the motivation of gratitude that we do it out because god has done so much for us um and another one could be need the need is so great uh not only to bring people into the kingdom but to help them mature uh and 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 quit living such shallow ineffective lives so the need itself i think uh is motivational um I think one for me is it sort of relates to the physical, and that is that as we have experienced uh, grandchildren now at this mm-hmm. stage of our life, there's God has designed something in us that there's a fulfilling part of us when we see our children reproduce, mm-hmm. and there's that third generation. Yes, right. and so the Old Testament doesn't use the term disciple but it uses the model through the family. Mm-hmm. And so much of the instruction was to to do it and teach your children and then teach your children's children. Right, yeah. And so that generational, I think, is built into us physically. I think it's there spiritually if we would just unleash it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I find, uh, like Mary, uh, there's there's this tremendous... Well, John, 3 John 4, I think it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Mm-hmm. And there's something in us that motivates us when we see not only our children become adults, but see our children who are now adults becoming parents mm-hmm. and doing a good job in parenting. And there, there's a sort of a closure that comes when we can see that third generation do right. it. And, right. and and that strategy that laid out in 2 Timothy 2 2, of course, has been pretty foundational. But the idea of a generational ministry, uh, I think, is is again, it's doable, it's rewarding, but it's doable by, by anybody. I mean, you don't have to have a, the gift of teaching right. to be a parent. And you have, I mean, you have to have some skills and so But it, but it's not gift-driven, mm-hmm. it's, it's love-driven, is what it is. Mm-hmm. And so I think that motivation, uh, if once people uh, who are now mature and walking with God learn how to invest their life in somebody else, they begin to see that generational uh, aspect coming into their their ministry, yeah. and then seeing that take it to another. It, it's just uh, I just think that's how God wired us. Yeah, yeah, made us that way. Yeah, yeah. that's mm-hmm. great. That's mm-hmm. encouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, favorite verse Colossians one twenty eight and twenty nine. We proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man that we may present every man complete in Christ. Mm-hmm. I want to touch on that idea of maturity a little bit, mm-hmm. and your thoughts on what does that look like? I know you have you've talked about that in your book, intentional disciple making, a lot. And uh, say a few words about what it means to mature in Christ.
1: Well, the uh, I, going back to the different cultures in Christendom as we um, attempt to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, I, I think, as we mentioned earlier, the the definition of what is a disciple is a, is a starting point. We have to understand mm-hmm. not what we think it is, but what did Jesus say described a disciple. That should be our blueprint that we work from. Uh, If he didn't tell us anything, then we're free to do whatever we want. But if he did say they look like something in particular, then that should form the blueprint. Mm -hmm. So that is a starting point. The second piece um, is the idea of process. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find that in most of our um, Christian communities, we don't think process, we think programs. Mm -hmm. And so the goal is to get people through programs rather than help them through a process. And of the metaphors that are used in Scripture to describe the Christian life, we we have a race, we have a walk, uh, we have a physical metaphor, we have an architectural metaphor. All of those uh, involve process. Mm-hmm. And so when we when we simply create a an environment where there is no um, strategy for helping people move from infancy or childhood through adolescence to adulthood through parenthood then uh, one-size-fits-all is kind of how we operate. So we offer programs, and we just put everybody in them, regardless of where they are spiritually. And there's a little bit of an aversion, maybe, to even talk about the fact that somebody could be spiritually a child. But there's nothing wrong with being a child spiritually. There's just something wrong with being a child forever, (laughs) you know, and uh, that's something, I mean, part of what we learned from Brian's case, because he never matured beyond about a nine-month level, Mm -hmm. um, it was okay at the beginning, but that wasn't the way he was designed to be there. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think if we would be willing to think in terms of how do people move from one stage of maturity to another, then we could begin to uh, provide resources that will... Fit the stage they're in Mm -hmm. rather than forcing everybody into the same model. Um, So, if if, and so we need some way to do some assessment in terms of what is it to be a spiritual child, what and how do you move from childhood to adolescence, what goes in there, and then what moves beyond that. Um, Willow Creek, a number of years ago, um, paid a lot of money to have a, a survey created that was to answer, help answer the question, are we really making disciples? And what they discovered was that there was a process that people went through in very definable uh, stages, and you can call it by different names, but if you take a physical model, it's, it's child, adolescent, adult, and then parent, say, for example. And what they found was there are certain disciplines that help people move from one stage to another. And I thought the interesting thing, of course, coming from the NAV background, was that the the disciplines of serving the external disciplines were not predictive of spiritual maturity mm. Mm. Uh, you could do them and be mature or immature what was predictive was the inner spiritual disciplines mm. And when people practice the inner spiritual disciplines at an increasingly higher level, that was always indicative of a higher stage of commitment, walk with God, godliness and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So that was a reaffir- reaffirmed, uh, even the high quest uh, concept of building those inner spiritual disciplines, so that people can learn uh, and, 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 and certainly spend time as a child and get the foundation there and then move on, and as they increase in their understanding and practice uh, and closeness to Christ, really maturity is a function of how close we walk with Christ, uh, that gets developed. But we have to have the skills to be able to do that, and we do it as we get more mature at just a deeper level. Mm
0: Yeah, that's great. great. Um, Talk a little bit. If you will about the um, hebrew model we've touched on a little bit in the past but the uh, rabbi the disciple uh, relationship uh, what did that look like that that jesus has left us a model
1: for right well as i understand uh in the culture of the time of jesus there were basically two types of teachers There was a group called Teachers of the Law, and they were uh, qualified to teach the first five books of the Old Testament. And so they were the ones that usually taught the, what we would say, maybe grammar school or the first level of school for kids. And this is especially true up in Galilee, which was more provincial than down in Jerusalem. Uh, But uh, then the second group, and they were just a few of them, they were called rabbis. And a rabbi uh, was, was a whole different... Status of teacher, a rabbi had certain qualities. They had to make to be called a rabbi. Uh, one is, as I understand, they had to have memorized the whole Old Testament, our Old Testament. Um, they could, uh, they could. You start a verse, any or a place, any part of the scripture, and they could finish it. They also had a style of of teaching that was a lot by questions. Uh, They also um, had to have the touch of God and people to recognize that. But anyway, as as Jesus became known as a rabbi, uh, one of the uh, qualifications was that rabbis were ordained by two or three other rabbis affirmed. Uh, So when Jesus began, it became obvious that he was in that status of a rabbi. In the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the people were amazed at his teaching, but they, they wondered at where he got his authority. <laughs> and so he didn't get it from human uh, people. Uh, he got his from the Father, and so that was the basis for him being a rabbi. So Jesus was a rabbi uh, as a special kind of teacher, and in that role, uh, a rabbis would interpret all of the Old Testament. And so each rabbi would have sort of – it was called his yoke – and that was his particular interpretation of the Old Testament. So there was no, never a question with any of the rabbis that the, that the scripture was authoritative. It was, how do you interpret it? So Jesus said, as he was teaching, take my yoke upon you. What well, was basically, he was saying, take my yoke. Understanding of how I interpret it, and he or he would say, "You have heard it was said by them of old time, but I say to you." And so he was interpreting uh, the scripture, and that was by that um, implying he had authority to do that. And so uh, the rabbis then uh, were uh, just there were just a few of them, and so as uh, young men would go through sort of the grammar school, both young girls and men, boys, went through that till about they were about 10 or 11. Then most of them all went back to working uh, with their with their parent took on the trades of their dad or the the girls became uh, prepared for mother or became a wife. Um, There was a second level which we would say high school that if you're a really good student you could do that and they, uh, that lasted maybe four or five years until the uh, maybe middle to late teens. And then all those went back to work with their family. But if, uh, if a student really uh, felt he was gifted, uh, he would then uh, look for a rabbi that he would like to follow around. And so the process was they would attach themselves and, and follow this rabbi around for a while to see whether or not they thought they could be like him. And if they did, then they would approach him and ask if he could, if they could be his, the word in in Hebrews, Talmud, if I could be your disciple. Most of the time, the rabbi would say, thank you very much, but go home and work with your dad. But sometimes, then, if he really thought the man was uh, really special, then he would invite them to be his Talmud. And when they did that, it was a 24-7 life. Mm -hmm. They would follow the rabbi wherever he went, whatever he did, because uh, they wanted to become just like the rabbi. Not just know what the rabbi knew, but know how to live and respond. Just as, mm-hmm. So they wanted to know what the rabbi did in the marketplace, what they did, uh, you know, uh, in the temple, uh, walking down the road. And so it was a 24-7 experience for those that were then disciples. So that's why we see in the Gospels, when in, in John chapter, the first chapters, the, uh, some of the early disciples when they were introduced to Jesus, they, they asked him a question. They would think is kind of interesting. They said, where are you staying? And that question was simply uh, fit the culture. They were saying, can we hang out with you for a while? Mm-hmm. And just to see what mm-hmm. you're like. And mm-hmm. Jesus said, come with me. Mm-hmm. And so uh, they did that for a while, John chapter 3, 4. And then sometime uh, about that um, place in the scripture, they went back to fishing. And so when Jesus comes back to the Sea of Galilee in Matthew 4, uh, this was probably about a year later. So that he was not new to them, but evidently they had concluded that they couldn't be like him. Mm. And so now he comes and says to them, I have chosen you. Come be my disciple. Mm. So that in the culture would have been an amazing statement to these fishermen who were blue-collar, guys who didn't have much education. And, and this great rabbi said to them, I think you can be like me. Wow, Come, come follow me. Mm. And from that point on, the, the 12, uh, as they were uh, finally identified, uh, it was a 24-7 mm. uh, experience of following the rabbi. So uh, Luke 640, uh, Jesus said, a disciple is not above his teacher. Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be just like his teacher. Mm. So that um, that model of becoming like him in every way possible uh, is the apprentice model. Mm. And so, um, and, and, and they did. They became like him, even in, in Acts 4, when Jesus has now gone into heaven. And the rulers looked at these men that followed him, and they marveled. Mm-hmm. Uh, they recognized they were uneducated, but they acted just like this Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to me, is the, is the challenge of discipleship, is that people, mm-hmm. when they look at my life, well, they say... Mm-hmm. He acts just like this Jesus, and uh, He reflects Him.
0: What do people think of when they interact with you and me? Do they say, yes, he or she acts just like Jesus? If so, that is very attractive to others to want to emulate the Master, our Lord Jesus. I don't know about you, but I was convicted of my need to spend quality, personal time with my Lord, reading, meditating on His Word, and walking with Him daily. As I do that, And as I have my mind set on Him, He will transform me more and more into His likeness. Of course, my tendency is to make my relationship with Jesus more of a contract. I think, I obey, and then I expect Him to bless me. But you know, it's not at all that, because that would be living by the law. Instead, it should be a love relationship, a daily walk. As I walk by the Spirit, which simply means to live my life keeping my eyes on Him and His Word, He will transform me. I don't have to perform to live up to any certain standard anymore. My objective is to know Christ in my own life in ever-increasing depth and to make disciples and develop laborers at all times under any conditions in every place I go. Join me next time for more of my interview with Ron and Mary Bennett when we'll hear their thoughts on how young people just starting out in life can find the time to invest in walking with the Lord. I know you won't want to miss that very informative interview. For more information about our ministry, you can email us at radio at kansasnavs.org or go to kansasnavs.org or our Facebook page, which is Kansas Communities Ministry. Here you'll find information about upcoming conferences, blog posts, and other happenings in our ministry. I hope you can be with us next time as we all learn more about Making Disciples Naturally.